be in 1 Corinthians 6 this morning, if you'd like to turn there. It's also on the screen. First eight verses. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have a dispute about such matters, do not ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to answer them in your mind as I go. When was your last argument with someone? When was your last little tiff where you got upset and you felt like they were being unjust and unfair to you? Or when was the last time that you got angry with someone and you, didn't, you just didn't say anything at all? And you held in your anger and your resentment so that you could hold your anger against that person? Was it sometime earlier this week? Was it this morning on the way to church? How often do you get in arguments and disputes? Once a month? Once a week? Once a day? Once an hour? Do you usually argue with a stranger or with someone that you really love and care about? It's usually somebody that we really love and care about, right? That we get in arguments with. What was your last argument about? Was it over something really important? Or was it over something kind of tiny and insignificant? It seems that, to me that people get, who get in arguments about really big things are usually people who get in lots of arguments about really small things. What was your thought process during your last argument? Was it, uh, what was your goal during your argument? Was it to see justice done, to see fairness done, even if you were partly to blame or wholly to blame? Was it your goal in the argument to love the other person and encourage them and build them up? Or was it your goal to get your way? Was it to shift the blame to someone other than yourself? Was it to show that you were right and humiliate the other person and show that they were wrong? Was it to make them feel smaller and you feel bigger? Was it to prove that you were the harder working one or the smarter one or the nicer one or the more humble one? It's pretty ironic arguing about who's the more humble one, right? But it happens. Oftentimes, our arguments are about who wronged who or who sinned against who. And yet, we tend to forget that arguments and fights are sins in and of themselves. It's not necessarily a sin to differ with somebody. Uh, It's not necessarily a sin to rebuke somebody that, that did you wrong. It's not... 
I mean, you can have loving motives for correcting somebody or disagreeing with them. But all arguments and criticizing and backbiting comments and one-upping and blaming and silent treatments, they all come out of only one source, our own pride. All of these are about promoting our own self-righteousness and entitlement in our eyes and in the eyes of others. But don't you know that it doesn't matter whether you're justified in your argument or whether you're right? It doesn't matter. The desire to come out on top and put others beneath you comes from pride. There's a sad truth about all of us humans, I think, is that we, we usually love and care more about ourselves than about other people. And that's proved by the fact that if someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong, we'd rather be the ones that are right and make them the ones that are wrong, right? We'd rather win an argument than resolve an argument. We would rather put the blame on the other person rather than taking it at ourselves. We'd rather hurt someone than be hurt ourselves. We'd rather hurt someone than admit that we were wrong. We would rather make the other person look bad than look bad ourselves. Now, disagreements and problems, they will inevitably come up in every relationship, even the most loving ones. It's going to happen. But disagreements and problems need not dissolve into fighting and arguing. They should not dissolve into fighting and arguing. Why is it that we consider fights and arguments, you know, even with the people that we really love and care about, why do we consider them to be just an unavoidable part of life? Why are we blind to how ugly and damaging they are? Why can we get done with an argument and not feel the least bit guilty for our own pride and lack of love? And why does other people's pride and lack of love make us feel justified in our own? In 1 Corinthians 5, the chapter before ours, Paul was absolutely ashamed that there were reports going around that there was a person in his church, he established the Corinthian church, a person in his church that was involved in sexual immorality. He was having relations with his stepmother. But in 1 Corinthians 6, he is even more ashamed that the people in his church can't get along with each other. Uh, And, you know, not only that, they can't, they couldn't resolve their own differences among themselves. They were taking it to court. They were taking their own Christian brothers and sisters to court in order to settle their arguments. Everyone in the world could see that Christians couldn't get along better than anybody else. Paul says, If if any of you have a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? In Greek, Paul puts the word dare right there in the front of the sentence, which is a way of emphasizing words in that language. It's like saying, how dare you? I can't believe you. You know, he's really upset here. He goes on, Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? 
Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling? For those whose way of life is scorned in the church, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that nobody among you is wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one believer, one brother, takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. See, in big cities like Corinth, there was a literal judgment seat set up in the middle of town. It was called the Bema seat, and Bema means judgment. And a Roman official would sit there, and he would hear cases, and he would make judgments. See, they didn't have juries. They didn't have court systems. Our idea in America about what the court system and what um, justice should look like has really been influenced by Christianity. But in a pagan city like Corinth, the judges were often not very just because they were ungodly people themselves. Paul says that their way of life was scorned in the church. They took bribes. They judged according to a standard that wasn't God's at all. And if they didn't know right from wrong in their own lives, how were they going to judge believers? The Christians in Corinth were taking up lawsuits. They were, they were going to the Bema seat in town to get justice from this man who was not godly. And their disputes were probably not criminal cases. I mean, I doubt they were stealing each other's donkeys or something like that, you know. Um, when Paul says that the church will judge the world and even judge angels, um, shouldn't they be able to judge the things in this life? The idea is that if they're worthy to judge big things, shouldn't they be able to handle and resolve the small everyday things in their life that happens to everyone? The type of problems and arguments that everyone faces on a daily basis were the ones that they couldn't handle among themselves. They were taking them to an ungodly man just so that they could get their way. They weren't looking for justice. They weren't looking for fairness. If they had been, they would not have gone to the Bema seat because they weren't going to get it there. They were just trying to get their own way. And isn't that just like us? Maybe we don't take our little everyday arguments onto the Judge Judy show or something like that, but, you know, we fight to get our way over even the littlest stuff. We don't let things go. We exaggerate the wrongs that were done to us, and we tell them to other people so that they can judge the other person and, and, and take our side. And if Paul thought that this, the disputes and the lawsuits and the Corinthian uh, Christians were over small, everyday things, what about our churches in America? I once had a pastor friend tell me that more churches split over the color of the carpet than over correct doctrine. And Christian parents and Christian kids, they get in fights. I know, I'm the youth pastor. They get in fights over the littlest things, you know, uh, because somebody was 10 minutes late to the parking lot or because, you know, somebody didn't clean their room. Husbands and wives, they fight over doing the dishes and, you know, taking out the garbage and things like that. Isn't your relationship with another person worth more than carpet color? Isn't it worth more than 10 minutes of waiting in the parking lot and clean dishes? Isn't another person worth more than even the big stuff, more than money and colleges and careers? We need to get our priorities straight. And at least the Corinthians, they were trying to resolve their disputes, even if they were doing it in a completely wrong way. But if we get in disputes, we will fight and we will argue until the other person is humiliated 
and begging on their knees for our forgiveness. And that's what we want to see. And if they don't do it, which it's never likely that they will, then the argument just won't be resolved. See, listen closely. When we don't resolve our arguments and disputes humbly in a God-honoring way, we grow further and further away from each other. And we start to think about one another with bitterness and resentment and contempt. And we hold on to an unforgiving attitude. And after a while, the anger at the other person will go away. You might even forget what the argument was about. But all of those past little arguments and wars and struggles, even over the little stuff, they will eventually build a wall between you and the other person that will put a strain on your relationship. And as the old proverb says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. And this happens all over the place. It's sad to see all the people who live in the same house and don't talk or interact. All the siblings that are estranged from one another and children who hate and ignore the parents who conceived them and raised them and gave birth to them. Yeah, it might be the parents' fault. Yeah, it might be the other siblings' fault, but who cares? Do we have that much pride that we would damage and throw away our relationships? You see, arguments and fights and silent treatments and criticisms and passive-aggressive comments, they're never really about the things that we think they're about. They're not really about dishes and carpet color and money. They're about the people who are in the relationship. They're about puffing yourself up in your own eyes and the eyes of others and putting them down. They're about holding on to your pride and putting yourself first. But that should not be us. We should not be people who argue with each other and bicker. See, it's not our master's way. And it shouldn't be our way either. When people brought false accusations against Jesus, what did he do? He didn't get angry. He didn't accuse them back. He stayed silent. When people spit on him and they mocked him, he didn't mock back. When they blindfolded him and hit him in the face, he didn't hit back. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. And that's exactly what he did. When he was dying and when he was nailed to the cross and people were hurling insults at him, his only response was a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus was the only man who ever lived who had something worth being proud about. But he didn't hold on to his pride. He didn't try to protect it, right? He chose to love instead. And those who belong to Jesus, we who belong to Jesus, need to live as he did. We need to live a life of love. And love does not puff up. Love does not puff itself up. It builds other people up. To love someone means to promote that person's good 
for their own sake. To wish for and work for their good even when you don't get anything out of it. That's what it means to love somebody. But when you argue and you fight with someone, you cannot wish for that person's good and you are not acting for that person's good. Instead, you are pridefully wishing and acting for your own good and for their bad. Whenever you hear harsh words and blaming and criticism and and silent treatments and all those things, you know that pride is present and therefore love is absent. You can argue with somebody. You You can't argue with somebody that you really do love and care about, but you are not treating them with love when you do that. With every argument, with every prideful stab, your love will grow a little colder. The wall will be built a little higher. And the only thing that can break down that wall is confession and forgiveness. In this passage, what Paul was most worried about was um, how the church is bickering, how they're fighting, represented Christ to unbelievers. You see, we represent Christ to the world in everything that we do, in everything that we say. Does Christ look very loving if Christian couples and Christian families and Christian friends and Christian churches are always fighting and trying to get their own way? How does the Lord look if we criticize and put down one of his followers? We should be willing to give up our own rights, to give up our own reputation in order to preserve the reputation and honor of our Lord Jesus and of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As George MacDonald said, he said, one of the grandest things in having rights is that though they are your rights, you may give them up. We should give up our rights. We should give up and put the other person's good above our own, even those who have not done the same for us. Look at what Paul says uh, in verses 7 and 8. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. So I say to you, If someone mistreats you, if someone blames you for something that you didn't do, if someone speaks arrogantly to you and belittles you, if someone disrespects you, if someone does wrong by you and cheats you, why not rather be mistreated than dishonor our Lord and damage your relationship? Why not rather be falsely accused and blamed? Why not rather be wronged and cheated and belittled? I'm not saying that you should let yourself be walked all over and beaten up. But we don't keep others from walking all over us and beating us up by walking all over them and beating them up. That's not how it works. We don't get respect from other people by disrespecting them. The best counter to pride is always humility. The best counter to being wronged and being mistreated is always to do right by them and to treat them with respect. In other words, to love them. You know, I think the most difficult thing about this is that when you are humble and when you don't fight back 
the other person's going to think that they've won. And humility, humility is usually invisible to a prideful person. They won't see it. But remember that God factors into the equation. And, you know, he recognizes and he appreciates humility and love above all other things. And I know this is hard. It's not natural to us. Love is not natural to us. But we all need to practice this. Next time you're in an argument and are mistreated by someone, no no matter how big, no matter how small the thing it is, stop and think about your options. What would be the loving way to respond in this situation? How can you be humble? How can you respect somebody who just disrespected you? Then act and speak in a loving way. Not in a way where you act like you're taking the high road and you're more mature than them, but in a way that is understanding and humble and respectful. And if you participated in the argument at all, if you are partly to blame at all, be the first one to ask for forgiveness. Let this be a challenge to all of us. At least try Christ's way of love the next time you encounter a conflict. If you do these things, you will become more like Jesus, who loved other people even when they didn't love him. Let's pray. Lord, help us in this area. Help us to be people who don't fight or bicker, but who love each other. I pray especially for all those who are married and have close family ties, Lord, that you would help them to be like you. Thank you for your word. Amen.